And thank you for being here today as we start this brand new series, How to Wreck Your Life in 21 Days. How to Wreck Your Life in 21 Days. Some of you, if you just came here for the first time today and you didn't even know, you're like, wait a second. This is, this is not what I was hoping for. Let's say, why, Cameron, why would we want to talk about how to wreck our lives? Who, who would honestly set out to wreck their lives? That sounds, that sounds ludicrous, but... You know, to be honest with you, when I look at the last few years of um, looking at celebrities, people in the limelight, even people in my own life that I know, you would swear that they're trying to wreck their lives, right? One after another after another who just set off these atomic bombs in their life that destroy them. You think, someone must be trying at this because it just happens so often. People who we know, people who are in... The limelight, one after another. How many stories have we heard in the last few years of celebrities or athletes or whoever it is losing their endorsements, losing their contracts, losing the ability to be part of something because all of a sudden this big scandal comes out in their life and it just it implodes their life. The reason why I want to talk about this is because no matter where you are in life today, no matter if you're you know, kind of at the beginning or you think, oh, I've been living it for a long time, wherever you are, You have not accumulated so much in your life that you couldn't completely destroy it in one month's time. Everything that you've built, everything that you started, everything that you've you've founded in your life, by November, it could all be gone. All of it. In 21 days, you could completely destroy everything you have built in your life. The big word that I'm going to be talking about this week and the next two weeks is this word honor. Honor. And honor can be kind of translated a few different ways, but our definition for these three weeks, the, ones that I, the one that I want you to put in your mind whenever I say honor, what I mean, what I want us to connect with is this, a reputation worthy of respect. Honor is a reputation that's worthy of respect. Here's the problem with honor. Honor takes a lifetime to build and only a weekend to lose. Honor takes a lifetime to build. And in a weekend, you can burn through all of it. Think about it. Maybe some of you guys who are towards the the second half of your life, right? I've put in a lot of years. I've been here for a while. I've had a foundation. And you might think, you know, maybe you're you're getting into into the 60s, getting into the 70s. You have had years and years and years of honor built up. You could burn through every bit of it by next weekend. All of it. That by next weekend when people talked about you, honor wouldn't be the term they'd use to describe you. In only a week. That's crazy to think about, right? What we're going to do is in these next three weeks, this week and the next two, we're going to take a look at one man in the Bible. We're going to take a look at his story. We're going to lay our own life kind of alongside it. And we're going to see what this looks like in relation to us. We're going to talk about this word honor and what it means for you, what it means for me. And we're going to talk about the things that could absolutely destroy that. So the, the good news is, is, if life is just too darn good for you, and you're like, it's just too easy, my family loves me, my, my wife, my kids, right, my husband, they, they just all care about me, by November we can have it fixed. Done, okay? <laughs> Complete do-over. But if the case is that actually you'd rather pursue honor, the good news is, if we're doing the opposite of these things that I'm going to talk about today in the next two weeks, you could set up areas in your life that are safeguarded, 
that you might live a long and honorable life. I am a naturally selfish person. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I know I'm selfish. You know why? Because I like doing what I like doing. Right now, if I'm going to make plans for the afternoon, and they said, Cameron, you can do whatever you want to do, or you can do what that person wants to do. I'd say, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what they want to do. I want to do what I want to do. I naturally lean towards what I want to do, right? That's who I am. I know that I must be slightly selfish because here's the deal. I talk myself out of being selfish, not into it. I never have to talk myself into being selfish, Ever. I talk myself out of being selfish rather often, but I naturally can just lean towards selfishness, right? That's easy, right? Now, I want the last piece of that. No, I'm going to take it, but I have to talk myself out of that. Can we just be honest for a second? Who would say, judging by that criteria, a little selfish too? Hands? Anybody? Yeah. We naturally lean that way, don't you? Guys, let's be completely honest, right? When she says, I want to go do this and do this and do this, and you go, yeah, I'd love to. Lie. You're selfish. In your mind, you're like, I want to sit on the couch and I want to watch TV. I don't want to go shopping for groceries. I don't want to go there. All these girls have ideas of where they want to go. Wouldn't this be fun for a weekend? And you're thinking, I thought sitting on the couch and watching TV was fun for a weekend. That was, that was my whole plans, in fact. Girls, there's tons of times, guys are passionate about something that they're interested in your relationship. Oh, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And you think, yeah, that's great. I'm happy that you're excited about that. And you're like, I have no interest in that at all, right? Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we went shooting together? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> but yourself, it's in your head. You're like, no, I would much rather go do something I want to do. I don't want to hang out with your friends. I want to hang out with my friends, right? It's just natural. Man, we turn towards selfishness. And our culture's kind of encouraging this recently, hasn't it? It almost seems like the way our culture's changing. So much of our advertising, have you noticed, is all based around selfishness? They use words like this. You deserve. You, you deserve a new car. You deserve a weekend off. You know, you've worked hard. It's time for you. You need some you time. You need to love you. It's all in our marketing and even every conversation. So much in these last years, it's all been about the, the idea of like self-confidence, right? You just need to love yourself. You need to love yourself first. That's what's most important. You need to love you. And there's this whole air of this idea of kind of like promoting selfishness. Well, I had a friend um, a few years ago, he's still my friend, but I had a situation with this friend a few years ago, in which he went through a really, really rough time in his marriage, okay? One of those times where maybe you guys have been in it, or maybe you've had a friend who's been in it, right? And it's one of those situations where when you talk to him, you can tell that in their mind as they're talking about their marriage, it's like a 50-50 shot, you know where they start talking about their marriage, and you can just feel by how they say it, it, it might work, it might not work, right? That was the situation with him. Bad things had kind of fallen out between him and his wife. He had moved out for a little bit of time. And when I talked to him, you could tell it was one of those 50-50 shot type situations. And as we were talking about everything that he was thinking and what he was going to do, one of his friends, not me, I'm the other friend in the situation, but one of his friends gave him this this gem of advice. Buddy, you just got to make yourself happy. He says, man, I understand all these different problems. I understand all your, your considerations, but here's the deal. You just need to make yourself happy. Have you ever heard that 
word of wisdom spoken. I've heard it multiple times shared with people. You just need to make yourself happy. That's what's most important in tough situations, in hard times. Well, here's my big idea for this week. The first step to wrecking your life in 21 days, make yourself happy. The first step to wrecking your life in 21 days, make yourself happy. Now, I know some of you guys are like, wait, what? Why would it be bad for me to to make myself happy? Why would that be bad for me to step into that? I mean, isn't that the point? Shouldn't I be trying to do that to make myself happy and joyous? What's the problem with that? But see, the problem is the decisions we make that lead to happiness often come with consequences. And when we make ourselves happy, we often make ourselves happy by taking that happiness from someone else. We're going to look at a story of a man in the Bible, in the Old Testament, way back when, right? In this book of Samuel. And Samuel was this, this prophet, okay? He was a guy who, who God spoke through to the people of Israel. That's how God spoke back in the Old Testament. Is he'd pick somebody, he would send like the Spirit to speak to them, and then they would share with the rest of the nation. Often they would advise the kings and they would talk to them. And this prophet Samuel is told that the king at the time of Israel, the, the very first king of Israel, Saul, that he was no longer going to be the king. God says to Samuel, Saul has a bad heart. He started off in the right direction, but he turned away from me. He's not focused on me anymore. He doesn't care about me. He's all about himself, and I'm replacing Saul. And this is where it comes to. In 1 Samuel 16.1, this is how the conversation starts. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now we're going to jump down to 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7. It says, When he arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, and he thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can anyone say amen for their life with that one? Has anybody said, I'm so thankful that that's the kind of God that I serve, right? In a situation that that's the one? Well, all seven of, of Jesse's sons are marched out before him. All seven of them come by, and each and every time they come out, one after another, Samuel says, this isn't the one God picked. This isn't the one God picked. And finally, we get to 1 Samuel sixteen eleven through 13. It says, Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brother, brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Man, this is an amazing beginning to a story, isn't it? God takes and he picks out David. This is like the beginning of a movie, isn't it? This prophet comes in, and he's looking through, and not this one, not this one. And we can kind of see, like, this beautiful picture, couldn't we, of, like, David and, like, his seven brothers surrounding him as they pour this oil on his head. And he says, this, this is the next king of Israel. Man, amazing, right? Rags to riches, goats to glory, I guess, would be a situation, right? With David. This would be like the part, like, right as they said that, right? And this will be the next king of Israel. It would be like where it cut to, like, the music in the beginning opening trail scenes, right? With, like, the, the people's names coming out, like, dun, 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 dun. And then we come back to the story later on. Man, it's exciting. 
God picks David. Now, God picked David because Saul had a heart that was turning away from him. So we can see right away, right? If we're going to talk about David, we would not be far-fetched to think this must be an honorable man, right? Honorable. God sends somebody to go and anoint him, to find him out of the blue, pick him out, and say, you're the next king of Israel. Not lineage, not any of that, like Saul's sons, like you would think it. You're going to be the guy who takes over as the king of my entire people. David was an honorable man. In fact, he gets this nickname in the, in, the, in the scriptures. They call him a man after God's own heart. God picked him out because Saul no longer had a heart directed to him, and he picked out David, obviously an honorable man. Now, some people have different ideas. Maybe he was 15, 20, 25 at the time when this anointing happened. But we're going to jump. We're going to fast forward in the story, okay? Push fast forward. Some of you guys are too young to even know that sound, aren't you? Because you, you've done DVDs. You're like, I, fast Fast what? Fast what? You mean next chapter? I don't understand what that is. Fast forward ahead to this story. But we get fast forwarded to the point 20 or 30 years later. Not exactly sure, but around 20, 30 years later. Now, David now, comfortable as king. David's been anointed as king. A season came through, and now he is the king of Israel. And the situation is that he's been king for a while. He's been this this battle king where he goes out and he fights with his people. And, and man, he's really conquered a lot of things. And David is well known and well, well honored. People sung songs about how amazing David was, okay? So honorable. But we get to this story in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. And listen to this. As we tell this story, let's read it together, okay? I mean, not read it together. I'll read it. You listen to it as we look at it together. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, and that would be his commander of his armies, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Let me see. David's getting comfortable, isn't he? He was the warrior king, and now he thinks, eh, you know, Maybe I'll just send them out. Maybe I'll just hang back, right? Somebody needs to watch this palace, and I think I'm the best person for that, right? He stayed back. It says this, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of a palace after his midday rest, excuse me. David got out of his bed and walked on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Guys, unusual beauty straight up hot, right? Unusual beauty. We're talking unu- there's, there's beauty, there's usual beauty, then there's unusual beauty. This is unusual beauty here, okay? Catches his eye. Here's what happens. It says that he sees her taking a bath, and it says he sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's main commanders in his army, one of his what they called the mighty men. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home, and later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. See, you thought the Bible was boring, didn't you? You guys all, oh, the Bible, I'm not going to read the Bible, it's boring. This is better than any of those movies that you're watching, man. This anointed king, and all of a sudden the situation happens, and sure enough, right, betrayal, and all of a sudden she's pregnant, and the whole situation becomes like, oh my goodness, what do we do 
from here. We're going to continue along with that story more in the next weeks, okay? But what I want you to see is, is where David started and, and where we get to right here in his story. David started off anointed. I mean, a man on mission told, you are going to be the next king of Israel. I mean, there'd have to be no doubt in David's mind, right? As he took that position, so many of us, as we progress in life, we feel like, am I really supposed to be here? David literally told, you're the next king. Can you imagine the confidence that came with that? The honor that came with that, that people well knew him as this great man of God. But you see, what happened is, soon enough, David got comfortable. David got distracted with making himself happy, with making himself happy instead. We see the fact that David used to be this warrior king going out and fighting and taking nations, but he thinks, you know, maybe I'll just let them do that. I'll just, I'll just hang back, right? You know, I'm, I'm getting older. I just want to relax. I want to take it easy. They'll be fine without me. We see the fact that it says in this that, that he wakes up from a midday rest. Okay, no guy needs to be taking a midday rest. I'm sorry, guys, okay? It is dangerous. Men without something to do, dangerous, okay? We need something to do. If you're taking a midday rest, I'll slap you. You need to go take a mid, midday exercise or midday run or midday cut something out of wood, right? Be, you know, step up, right? He's laying around the palace taking a midday rest. Again, I just want to make myself happy. I think I'll just relax today, right? He goes for this walk on the palace, and he sees this woman. He could turn around, walk away, right? But he says, you know, why don't, why don't you go find out who that woman is? He's interested. He's interested. He finds out that she's married. David's married, too. David has been married for years. We know he at least has one wife named Michal who loved him greatly, saved his life at one time. She was Saul's daughter, the old king's daughter. He finds out that she's married. Not only married, but married to one of the guys who works for you. But see, David wants to make himself happy. So maybe you could just, you know, maybe you could just get her and, and just bring her here. And sure enough, he sleeps with her. And in doing so, he wrecks multiple lives. He immediately changes who he is as a man. He changes his honor. He wrecks Bathsheba's life. She goes home and she says, I'm pregnant now. A lot of people will try to kind of throw Bathsheba under the bus and be like, well, she obviously came to him too. At that time, let me tell you, you, don't, you didn't have an option. The king said, come, okay? You had to come to the castle. If he said he was going to sleep with you, I pretty much it was like he was God on earth, okay? I don't think Bathsheba did this because she disliked Uriah. I think it was the king's actions. And of course, he's going to wreck Uriah's life. He stole this man's wife. Here's why making yourself happy is the first step to wrecking your life. What you think will make you happy right now often will make you unhappy later. What you think will make you happy right now will often make you unhappy later, a week later, a month later, a year later. You see, we all know this is true. We all know this is true because... A place called Taco Bell exists. <laughs> You're laughing because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Places like Taco Bell exist, and at the moment, you, you think, oh, you know what would make me happy? Oh, that delicious, delicious taco. Man, that amazing crunch wrapper. Oh, one of those quesadillas. But soon, the unhappiness comes, does it not? 
An hour later, you're like, why did I do that? Right? We know it's the case. What we think makes us happy right now, soon we realize makes us unhappy just a short while later. We know this in regards to our, to our lives. There's situations like this all the time. There's some of you guys that have bosses, coworkers, friends at school, teachers, that you would love to tell them exactly what you think of them, wouldn't you? I would love to just tell them everything that I think about you and who you are and you are. You don't know this and you are like this and you would just love. But let me tell you, a short season after, a day or so, that pink slip might not be so happy, right? That expulsion from school when you tell your teacher everything that you think about them, maybe not so happy. You see, what, what makes us happy in the immediate often makes us unhappy in the long run. We know this in regards to relationships. You might be single, you might be married, and there's that person that's flirting with you. And there's that, that guy or that girl who's cute, and they like you, and they flirt with you. And you have that temptation to say, I think that this would make me happy. But soon, you realize it makes you unhappy. Maybe if you're single, you've been waiting for marriage and you give away something that you can never get back. Or maybe you are married and you think this would make you happy. What I have right now isn't making me happy. And soon after your marriage falls apart, you realize this didn't make me happy at all. You see, what we think will make us happy now often will make us unhappy later. Why? It doesn't make sense, right? Why, why would this be that, that what sounds good right now won't make us happy soon? Here's why. Jeremiah says it perfectly as he's speaking in Jeremiah 17.9. He says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? See, he says, the problem is, is you've been thinking that your heart is some sort of pure source of direction for your life. And he says, it's a lie. He says, the human heart, it's sick. Man, it is, it is messed up. It's evil. And let me tell you, it will lead you astray. He says, this heart is deceitful. You see, our heart will point towards something in our life. We'll run into a situation and our heart will say, that's what's going to make you happy. That sounds good. That's what we need. Then you take it, you do it, you engage in it. And a few days later, your heart says, I'm not happy. Your heart doesn't know what it wants. It grabs at things, and when you follow it, soon enough, the unhappiness comes again. The heart is deceitful, untrustworthy. Focusing on what makes you happy is embracing a life of selfishness. It's of putting yourself first, of making yourself preeminent, of your satisfaction being number one. The problem is, it degrades and degrades and degrades. A lot of you would say, I don't understand what the big deal is. The things that, that make me happy, you know, they're not really that bad. I don't understand what the problem is, but here's the problem. When we satisfy our own wants, when we make that our focus, it continues to slip farther and farther. Our heart continues to seek out things that aren't right for us. I love, Paul says this one time, talking to the Galatians, okay? He's writing to them, and I'm going to read it to you in the message, which is kind of a paraphrase to our modern-day language. I think it's perfect for this, because he's just kind of talking like a friend, saying, this is what's going to happen. If you just make it all about you, about pursuing what you want, this is what it's going to look like. I love what he says here, Galatians 5, 16 through 21 in the message. He says this, my counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. 
For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that, that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with that selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? I love this. Starting in verse 19, he says, Isn't it obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time? Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, temper, excuse me, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. You see, he says, when you make it all about you, about making yourself happy, it soon degrades. Some of you guys, that was really awkward because some of those statements I said have been your life at seasons, haven't they? Some of those, when I read one of those lines, it kind of felt like someone just slapped you in the face a little bit because you've been in that situation where you felt that where you pursued what you thought would make you happy and you found yourself at one of those locations and you realized what I thought was going to make me happy did not. You see, the problem is, is, it, is it starts slow and it builds. When we continually point towards selfishness and what's ma- what makes me happy, it turns. Just like David, like I'm saying, it didn't start with David deciding, just waking up in the morning and thinking, today I think I'm going to cheat on my wife with one of my uh, co-workers' wives. I think I'm going to do that today. No, it started by him giving himself what made him happy in small ways, right? I think this year I'm not going to go to battle. I'm just going to stay home because I want to make me happy. I want to just be comfortable. We see the fact that even in his days, right, he's not keeping himself busy. He's not working. I think I'm just going to relax today. I'm just going to take a a mid-afternoon nap, right? Get up, go for a leisurely stroll. And he sees this woman, and I understand unusual beauty, right, guys? Unusual beauty. Wow, right? But he has a wife. He could have immediately turned away and said, obviously, that's not for me. That's not right for me to look at her. He could have walked away. But he continues to stare and look because he wants to give himself what makes him happy. In fact, he doesn't just stare and look, but he says, hey, hey, come here real quick. And he gets one of his servants. He says, can you go find out who that is? Right? Basically, it's like saying, like, can you go figure out what her status is, right? We don't have Facebook back then, so I can't jump on and find the girl who's two doors over and find out if she's taken or not, if she's married, what her situation is. Whoever that girl is, can you go find out her situation, right? And they come back and they say, no, she's married, actually, David. That's, um, that's Uriah. You remember Uriah? Yeah, he's one of the guys that, that fights for you, one of your 30 mighty men. That's actually his wife. I mean, that should have been it, right? He should have said, okay. Not for me. Maybe I thought she was going to be single. Maybe I was going to try to take her on a date, get yet another wife for me, right? Because I'm sure he probably already had one or two or three or ten. Because at that time, it was really common for kings. They would have multiple wives so they could try to have as many sons as possible to try to grow their lineage. But he says, no, you know what? Why don't, why don't you go and invite her? Why don't you go and invite her to the, 
to the palace, right? You see, I, w- I want to make myself happy. Maybe just, just go ask her, you know, if she just wants to come over and hang out, you know, for a little while. Just, you know, hang, just Netflix and chill, whatever, you know. Just come over for a little bit. We won't, you know. And then she comes to the palace, and he sleeps with her. You see, time after time after time, David continued to walk up to situations where he had a decision to be made. And every time he answered it by saying, I'm going to do what makes me happy. See, it didn't matter if it put his, his men at risk, him not being out there to command. It didn't matter if it put his nation at risk that he wasn't really worried about. It didn't matter if it put Uriah and their relationship at risk. I need to do what makes me happy. See, the problem with doing what makes you happy with focusing on that is often what makes you happy makes others miserable. What makes you happy makes others miserable. By the means by which we become happy is by taking joy away from other people. It happens all the time. Our hearts lead us towards things that take other people's joy and take it for ourselves. When we are thinking all about making ourselves happy, we have no more room to be thinking about how to make others happy. Paul said this one time to his his young disciple Timothy. He says, you want to know what it looks like when you just start pursuing this life of just doing whatever you want? Just focusing in, your, your number one focus being on making you happy. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 3, 2-4, in this letter to Timothy. He says, For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. You know, time and time again, when we look at these people in the public, you know, the spotlight, right? Maybe even people in our own lives that we've seen kind of explode their lives. They do something that they believe is going to make them happy. And one of the most common responses that happen is it destroys their relationships, doesn't it? Their friends, their family, the people who do business with them, everyone takes a big step back. And all of a sudden, that person is left standing alone in that situation. You see, the problem is when we focus on making ourselves happy, we make a lot of those people around us miserable. We don't have time to make them happy. All of you guys, you guys all know somebody who is insanely selfish, don't you? Who's that person in your mind, in all your relationships, you know, who is that person that you're like, they are the most selfish person I have ever met? I'm guessing they're not your best friend, are they? We don't want to spend time with people that are over the top selfish, do we? Every single time, they want me to give and give and give and give, but then when it comes to me needing anything, oh, I don't have time, I'm sorry, I can't meet with you, I can't do that, I don't don't have time. You see, when it's all about us, we don't have time for others. Situations like this come in which we find ourselves in a hard, a hard situation, like my friend. And he's told, you know, just do what makes you happy. But the reality is what that means is you no longer have time to make your wife or your kids happy, do you? You just do what makes you happy. Don't worry about making your wife and kids happy. That if you focus on this, you become one of those ugly people. And I don't mean physically, I mean one of those ugly relational people that people do not want to be around. Most often when you make that predominant goal, my satisfaction, my happiness, man, me going forward, you burn every relationship you've ever had. You could wreck your life in 21 days. 
See, that's the problem. Very quickly, in the course of a weekend, you could change everything. Here's the deal. You want to wreck your life? Make yourself happy. Make yourself happy. Finance that car. Man, waste that cash. Drink that. Eat that. Start that relationship. End that relationship. Sleep with that person. Give up on that other relationship. Let go of your family. Walk away. Soon, those things that you think were going to make you happy are going to leave you low. But not only will you find yourself low, you'll find yourself sick, find yourself broke, in pain. You'll find yourself alone as well. You'll be unhappy, but then you also won't have any of those people nearby you. The closest friends, the family who used to love you, they all took a step back because they can't stand watching you being all about you anymore. Now, if you'd rather not wreck your life, if you look back and you say, actually, Cameron, what what I would love for my life is what you talked about at the beginning. Honor. I would love a reputation that's worthy of respect. I would love that, that people, when they talk about me, they would talk about someone where they'd say, that person deserves respect. They're a good person. Then what you need to do is you don't worry so much about making yourself happy. Instead, make yourself holy. Don't worry about making yourself happy. Make yourself holy. I tell you this, God's character, God's ways, his direction for your life, oftentimes won't result in an immediate spike of happiness. But I'm telling you, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, it's joy. You see, there's no drop-off. There's no unhappiness later on. You might not get that immediate spike of happiness, but I'm telling you, there is consistent, honorable joy at the end of it. This is what James says. This is Jesus' brother writing one time to the churches. He says this, If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those last qualities that are mentioned in that list, over a lifetime, that's a recipe for honor. See, the problem with honor, again, honor takes a lifetime to build and only a weekend to lose. I don't know if this weekend is your weekend. Next weekend is your weekend. A week from now, a month from now, a year, 10 years. But there's going to be a weekend that comes in your life. A weekend in which maybe the situations regarding your relationships, your, your marriage, your family, your job, they get to a place in which it feels really, really difficult. And there's going to be a moment in which, as you're walking through it, you hear this whisper in the back of your mind. Just make yourself happy. But when you hear those words, now you know. That's the first step to wrecking my life. 
That's the first step to wrecking my life, just making myself happy in the situation. If I want honor, now's the time to make myself holy. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for preserving a great story about David like this, God. A story which reveals how the most honorable man can fall when we get our mind set on the wrong thing. God, for showing us these stories, for facts that that truth inside of your word is so relevant today, we'd swear it was written yesterday. God, I ask that you would do work inside of our hearts. I pray that you would would lodge that deep somewhere in which we couldn't forget it, that we know that someday the enemy is going to whisper in our minds in a, a weekend of weakness, just make yourself happy. And that you would immediately remind us with your Holy Spirit. That's the first step. That's the first step to wrecking your life. God, I pray for blessings in each of these people's lives. I pray that for each of them, their lives would be ones of honor. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.